Hello, everyone, and welcome to not just another episode of Lords of Limited, but we've got the Lost Caverns of Ixalan Crash Course. My name is Ben Warney, and joining me on the line, as always, Mr. Ethan thinks he's high on craft sacks. Ethan, I believe all of my craft grades are much higher than yours. I am <laughs> stoked about crafting. I, I am stoked about craft. I was trying to temper my, you know, we'll get into some of these cards. I was trying to temper my grade of some of these of like, this is at the end of the day, this is just two mana cantrip and then six mana six six. Like, let's not get so overblown, but I I love all the craft cards. Yeah, I am pretty stoked about craft. Is it too early? I want to come in hot and call this a goat format already. I love this format just from the looks of the cards. Yeah, I, I, I'm i not quite ready to call it a goat <laughs> format without drafting it one time, but I respect the takes. I respect the stance you're taking here. I do think like looking at all the mechanics, discover aside, though I do think discover will be an interesting mechanic to assess like i think people are going to come in with different evaluations of discover some are going to be i think too high on it i think some are going to be like because i think what happens in your brain when you read discover fours you go well i get a four drop no you get a two or three or a four drop but i mean it's still excellent on a card right the, the discover cards that are good cards on their own are great and the ones that are like there you go three creatures can't block discover four that's not great right right but i so i think some people are going to evaluate cards in that space differently Personally, I wouldn't expect everyone to feel the same about that. I think there's a lot of people who are going to be tricked into being like, but you get a card too. Like, yeah, but you're also paying five mana to raise dead something. So <laughs> like, I think I think there'll be uh, some different assessments. But aside from that, like craft just seems awesome. I'm excited about Descend. I love Explore. I have a lot of fondness for Ixalan. Well, and there's just so much bleed between yeah. the mechanics. Like they're they all there's pieces of each mechanic that touches pieces of all the other mechanics. And boy howdy, to borrow an Ethan Sachs phrase, treasure is just stewing at the center of it all. Love yeah. treasure in this format. Love it, love it, love it. Okay, so uh like any kind of hipster restaurant, if if you've never dined with us before, we do things a little differently <laughs> around here. <laughs> For uh, for previous seasons, so we will not be doing a full card by card set review for our crash course, though we have graded all the cards separately in a spreadsheet that will be available to you when you download the show. How we're going to do things here is first zoom out, look at some big picture stuff. How do creatures line up against removal? How supported are some mechanics? What are some support for some general themes that we see in limited like fixing sweepers, life gains, things that often affect the overall landscape? Then we'll talk about the grading scale and get into all of the card differences where we've graded cards. And as Ben pointed out to me, we have quite a few highlighted cards this time around. But then we'll get to our ranked top commons and uncommons, three of the former and two of the latter. And I was expecting there to be not as much lined up in those areas. We're a little bit more lined up than I would have expected looking at all the grading disagreements. I agree. I was a little disappointed when I flipped over your top comments and uncommons. <laughs> yeah. Um, so before we get into all of that good stuff, and it will be good stuff, we do have some housekeeping things to take care of. First things first is the Patreon page. Patreon.com slash Lords of Limited is where folks can go to give back to the show. If they so choose, the show will always be free. But we have some excellent perks over at the Patreon page, starting with the base level. Everybody who gives back via the Patreon gets access to our Discord. The Lords of Limited Discord is awesome. We've got a nice new little MTG news section that'll be uh, popping out, letting people know that Ben, cons of Tarkir 
coming to Arena in just over a month. I know. I saw that. This format looks so cool. And it's yeah. going to be overlapped by that, which is That's... also going to be awesome. I guess, you know, too much of a good thing. Yeah. Hot on the heels of uh, this set releasing will be uh, a flashback to what many consider to be the GOAT limited format. I'm not one of them, but uh, I'm excited to return to the land of uh, of duels and tries and morph and all that good stuff. But we've got a lot of great stuff happening in the Discord. Um, I would say chief among them now would be people pouring over previous sharing their tier lists, doing some practice drafts organized in the Discord in preparation for pre-release next weekend. Um, So as you move up the reward tier ranks, you get access to other great stuff, um, and we won't go over that. This time, we'll just let the uh, people joining the Patreon speak for themselves. We are shouting out some new patrons this week. We are welcoming Michael, Brian, Mike, Jack, Leo, Carlo, Jaron, Siri, Thomas, Kyle, Gabriel, Brain, Edward, and Ty. Thank you, thank you, thank you. We really appreciate your support. Yeah, cannot say thank you enough. Those folks know what's up. They're getting in on the Discord at the start of a new format, and you should be as well. Show is also brought to you by Cool Stuff Inc., coolstuffinc.com, where they've got cool stuff in stock. And right now, that cool stuff is Lost Caverns of Ixalan pre-orders. This is the last of the real draft sets. This is it. <laughs> the last time we get 15 card boosters. So you better lock up that booster box now. Store it in the closet for a rainy day after play boosters have ruined everything. And you're a little nostalgic for that old 15 card draft booster. Also, I mean, truly, honestly, this format does look great to me. I mean, obviously, tongue in cheek with the goat thing. I got to get my takes in early. Just want to get it in there before anyone even plays with the cards. But this does look <laughs> super sweet, and I'm excited. So pre-order your box of Lost Caverns of Ixalan. And when you do, make sure you use code LOL, all caps, to get 5% off your order. All right, stats, baby. So first things first, as we looked at what number slash percentage does specific removal hit of the 104 creatures that exist at Common or Uncommon, and except for the sweepers, when we, we get to that section of the crash course, except for that category, we will be dealing exclusively with commons and uncommons, because that's what we do here in Limited. Um, And we're not counting, there are seven craft cards in that category that transform into creatures, not counting those here among uh, the toughness. So looking at one toughness, it's quite a departure from Wilds of Eldraine, going from Rad Out, Flick a Coin, even Shrouded Shepherd's Adventure. We got like nothing, basically. There's just one removal spell here that targets specific X ones, and it's not particularly main deckable if history is going to repeat itself. We have Tectonic Hazard, single red for a sorcery, deals one damage to each opponent and each creature they control. This is generally relegated to the sideboard, right? Yeah, I would imagine this is not going to be a player in the limited format. So one toughness creatures are safe. Yeah, and there's 22 of them with toughness one, so that's 21% of, uh, of the creatures, one in five. Moving on to X2s, we have several removal spells that'll hit X2s. First up is Deadweight, Black for an enchantment. Enchanted creature gets minus two, minus two. We've also got Idol of the Deep King, two and a red for an artifact with flash. When it ETBs, it deals two damage to any target. And then you can craft it by paying two and a red with another artifact to turn it into an equipment that gives a creature plus two, plus oh. That part not so relevant for the killing of... (laughs) twos <laughs> that's right and lastly this triumphant chomp single red for a sorcery it deals damage to target creature equal to two or the greatest power among dinosaurs you control whichever is greater probably dinosaurs you control if you're red green that is probably. a premium removal spell so yeah. there's 29 creatures with toughness two which is 49 percent of the overall creatures Moving on to X3s, we've got an oldie, but boy, is it a goodie. A braid is back. One on a red for an instant. Choose one. It deals three damage to target creature or destroy target artifact. There are 23 creatures with toughness three, which brings us up to 72% 
total. Is a braid just like an A minus in this format? It's probably. Yeah. That takes us on to X4s. We've got Cosmium Blast. This is one and a white for an instant. Deals four damage to target attacking or blocking creature. There are 16 creatures with toughness four, which is 87% of the creatures in total. And then moving on to X5s, there's actually two. One is Spring-Loaded Sawblades. We talked about this last week. It's one and a white for an artifact. When it enters the battlefield, it deals five damage to target tapped creature and opponent controls. And then it's a a craft artifact as well. Crafts with artifact flips into a 5-5 vehicle. Um, But the relevant part here is that it's a two-mana deal five. We've also got Join the Dead, one black black for an instant. Target creature gets minus five, minus five until end of turn. And if you've got Descend four online, it gets minus 10, minus 10 instead. So that's nine creatures with toughness five, brings us up to 95%. So almost everything, there's only five creatures with greater than five toughness. So these numbers, these percents are about what we would expect. Like, you know, have out half the creatures, having two toughness, getting up to about three fourths with three toughness. The thing that is sh- is shocking here was this twofold. One is that we often have way more removal spells to talk about that deal with specific three toughness, right? Usually black has like something that deals with like two, maybe then power three, then maybe a catch all. Red will have a deal two, a deal three, a deal five, something like that. Not really the case here. And then the other thing is that there's much more interaction at common than uncommon this time around. 12 common removal spells versus six. Wow. Yeah, pretty, pretty stark there. As we said, no real X1 hate. There's no real restrictive removal. Oftentimes we'll look at something else like, does it have mana value three or less or two or less or power four or greater? There isn't any of that as far as I could tell. There's lots of blue quote unquote interaction, but almost none of it is true removal. There's three counter spells, two aura based removal spells and one bounce spell, but none of them true blue, uh, no pun intended, true blue removal <laughs> in uh, in my estimation. And white has a whopping five removal spells, which is more than usual. Right. We didn't get into things that are going to hit anything. White's got um, an arrest variant where mm-hmm. you can't attack or block and its activated abilities can't be activated. There's also one other one we didn't shout out in red. The three in a red deal damage equal to the number of lands you control at four mana. So that's going to hit four toughness or greater, you know, depending on as you hit land drops. Oh, yes. Thank you. Rumbling rock slide. Yes, yes, yes. I forgot about that one. Um, green has its usual bite at common, fight at uncommon. There's a six mana uh, with cycling two clunky colorless removal spell that's back um always interesting and i'm always thankful when i get into my shenanigans in week four or week five to have some uh some colorless garbage removal floating around some stuff that we didn't count in the spreadsheet so again where you uh download the episode you can check out our grading spreadsheet there'll be a tab there where we've listed all the removal spells at common or uncommon some things i didn't count as removal, there's an edict, Ben. Or is this just shocking and appalling to you that this is not counted as removal? No, I respect not counting it as removal. I'm just obsessed with tithing blades. So this yeah. is one and a black for an artifact. ETBs each opponent sacrifices a creature, and then you can craft with creature for four and a black to get an artifact that says at the beginning of your upkeep, each opponent loses one life and you gain one life. I am obsessed with this card. I can't tell if this card is going to be completely overrated. Or completely underrated. It's definitely not going to be properly rated. It's going to be overrated by me for sure. <laughs> um, there's also a Transmogrify variant back here. There's Zoyoa's Justice, one in a red for an instant. The owner of target artifact or creature with mana value one or greater shuffles it into their library. Then that player discovers X, where X is its mana value. I mean, technically interaction, but I do not think 
that this will be particularly playable and limited. And then we've also got a naturalize effect in Over the Edge, one on a green for a sorcery. Choose one, destroy target artifact or enchantment, or target creature you control explores, then it explores again. And like artifacts is a theme here. There's enchantment-based removal. It's And like explore, explore is a thing. So it's possible that Over the Edge will be playable enough. I, I don't know, but I didn't end up counting it in uh, in that spreadsheet. So that's what we got to say about removal and creature sizing. We'll take a quick ad break and we'll be back with the new and returning mechanics. This podcast is sponsored by BetterHelp. This time of year can be a lot and it's natural to feel some sadness or anxiety about it. For me, the idea of expectations around the holidays is important. The holidays mean different things to different people and knowing what we expect and what's expected of us can help alleviate the most stress. This time of year is also fairly busy for me as a teacher. There's a lot going on. I feel stretched pretty thin. Time's changing. Everything's Oof. darker. <laughs> fall, fall into winter is tough. That is where better help comes in. Therapy can be a bright spot amid all of the stress and change, and even something to look forward to to give you the tools to manage everything going on. Being able to confide in and problem solve with someone outside of your friends and family is incredibly useful. If you're thinking of starting therapy, give BetterHelp a try. It's entirely online, designed to be convenient, flexible, and suited to your schedule. Just fill out a brief questionnaire to get matched with a licensed therapist and switch therapists at any time for no additional charge. Find your bright spot this season with BetterHelp. Visit BetterHelp.com slash Lords today to get 10% off your first month. That's BetterHelp, H-E-L-P dot com slash Lords. And now, back to the show. All right, we're back with the new and returning mechanics. First up, we've got Descend, which is, I think, largely one of two main headliners for the format with Descend and Craft. So there are 19 cards with Descend or Descended, which mean kind of different things. And they're spread across a lot of colors, mostly concentrated in the Sultai colors. I think specifically if you're talking about Descend 4 or Descend 8, which cares about you getting you know, four permanents in your graveyard for Descend 4 or eight permanents in your graveyard for Descend 8. But even before we get into any of that, I just want to talk about the various ways there are to trigger Descend or Descended, which cares about if you descended something went to your graveyard from anywhere that turn okay so there's a lot of ways to do this in the format yeah i think so first of which is a a passion of yours there are many sacrifice outlets running around that's kind of a theme in white black obviously just your creatures dying in combat there's also a variety of cards that let you mill that's going to let you go straight from the top of your library to the graveyard Cycling is going to let you do it at instant speed, which is going to be pretty sweet. Also, cycling will let you trigger Descend 4 or Descend 8 at instant speed. Looting, if it's an instant speed loot, will let you trigger it at instant speed. I think there's going to be a lot of shenanigans going on. Like once you're on Descend 3 yeah. and you have some of those Descend 4 creatures, like it's going to be tough like to know what to do because you're going to get owned if your opponent can Descend at instant speed. I'm very excited about Descent. I think it's going to be, I think Descent 4 and Descent 8, sort of that I'm less sure is like what, how often is that mini game going to happen? But when it does, I think it'll be sweet. Yeah, there's also eight cards that mill as far as, you know, ways to get Descend online again, mostly concentrated in blue, black, four black, three blue, and then one green card. And the Sultai colors, so red-black is the color pair that cares about descending, like it Mm. happening during your turn. And then those Sultai color pairs, green-black, blue-black, those are the ones that care about you getting permanence in your graveyard with Descend 4 and Descend 8. Sweet. And then we've got a few cards that just let you put cards in the graveyard. We talked about some of those last week, the Confounding Riddle that lets you counter a spell or look for a card and dump the rest in your graveyard. So there's going to be ways to 
turn on descend, I think quite reliably. It's also just naturally going to happen over the course of the game, like hitting descend four and descend eight as you trade off resources with your opponents. Mm -hmm. And the cards that have descend four, descend eight, generally good payoffs, I think. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. Um, another, yeah, the, you shouted this out earlier as a way for that I might like to get to descend, which is sacrificing. Unfortunately, I don't think sacrifice seems super well supported. I mean, it's clearly what black white is trying to do, but we're sort of missing. There is sacrifice fodder for sure. And there are sacrifice outlets for sure, but we're missing that sort of key third piece. That's like when a creature dies, do this. And I guess maybe fueling descend or whatever. Like I think it'll just more be about those synergies between, okay, I like play my two mana one, one, you exile a card from your hand and now I have a way to use that later on in the game, that type of deal. Right. So descending is kind of the payoff for sacrificing yeah. something during your turn. So there are a couple cards here. The first of those is Ruin Lurker Bat, which is white for a 1-1 flying lifelink. And at the beginning of your end step, if you descended, scry one. I think that's going to be outstanding in white black. Just a good card in general, but really will be at home in white black. And second of them is a build around enchantment that may or may not get there. Probably not. But I think its best home certainly will be white black if it does get there at all. It says canonized in blood, one and a black for an enchantment at the beginning of your end step. If you descended this turn, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. And then you can pay seven mana to sacrifice this enchantment to make a four, three white, black vampire demon creature token with flying. It's a lot of text for unplayable, wouldn't you say? <laughs> it's not unplayable. Oh. It'll be playable in a black, white sacrifice deck, I think, but not a great card there. We'll chat about that in a, in a few uh, in a few moments. <laughs> but yeah, so we've got those sacrifice outlets. The premium one is the Bartolome del Presidio. That's the white-black uncommon signpost. It's white-black for a 2-1. It's like a creature and artifact to put a plus and plus one counter on it. And then there are just a ton of things that are set up to be sacrifice fodder for craft or for this white-black sacrifice deck. So you are, I think, going to have no trouble finding sacrifice fodder for your sack outlets. But the, again, there's just not real payoffs other than combining sack outlets and payoffs for small bonuses or extra pieces of cardboard. There's a, a smattering of artifact matters stuff, whether they're entering the battlefield, that's more blue red, whether you want them sticking around to be able to tap to get bonuses for red white. I wouldn't say that either of these are heavily supported. I think these are going to be, would you say just largely like sort of like how we thought about red white in whoa was like celebration happens, but you're not putting bad enablers in your deck like you care about celebration but you're not putting the bad enablers in your deck would you say the same is likely true for this tap theme in boros i think so uh, mostly it just that it doesn't have much overlap when we talked about how much bleed there are between the major mechanics this one seems pretty self-contained but again treasure glue that's tying the room together here because treasure is going to give you a free artifact to tap and most of these want you to tap two things so once you have two treasure like they're just powering up all of these cards fairly significantly i think once I've seen some of the payoffs, I think this is going to be a very streamlined deck, but I do think it will get there if you get all the things. So we haven't seen the signpost uncommon yet. Uh, this is two red white for a four four human soldier. And whenever it attacks, this is named Caparocti Sunborn. Whenever it attacks, you can tap two untapped artifacts or creatures you control. If you do discover three, I mean, that could snowball in a hurry if you're meeting the requirements for that. Yeah, I mean, this doesn't do the thing where like it comes into play, but it basically threatens like you better have a way to either, I mean, even not even like you're still going to get the value even if you trade with it in combat. It's big enough that it demands to be answered. Right. And there's another really strong one, I think, in Guardian of the Great Door. This is white, white for a 4-4 flyer. Yeah. As an additional cost to cast a spell, tap four untapped artifact creatures and or lands you control. 
So basically, red-white is going to be trying to flood the board, as per usual, to try to get the opponent dead. But there's also going to be ways to you know, turn those rectangles into bonuses with this theme of tapping artifacts or creatures to power up stuff. Yeah, I saw someone on Twitter be like, this is just con- like six mana convoke improvise. And I was like, oh, yeah, that is just what it is. That's pretty yeah, good. Quite strong. <laughs> yes. Yeah. So next up, we've got blue red, which is artifacts ET being there's only really two cards that have this text, the, the blue red signpost uncommon and another artifact that I think we're going to be arguing about later in dowsing device. Mm-hmm. Um, but the we saw this last week, the Captain Storm Cosmium Raider blue red for a 2-2 when an artifact ETBs put a plus and plus one counter on target pirate you control. So this doesn't look super supported, but there's a couple other cards that care about you controlling an artifact and craft is obviously in blue red and craft is great. So I feel very confident that blue red is going to be a deck despite not many cards having this specific text of artifacts entering the battlefield on them. Right. Yeah. Yeah. But like, uh, yeah, blue red is a deck I'm very excited to play, um, maybe even more so for the craft of it all. But like, I think that uh, it looks really good. Yeah. Next up, we've got dinosaurs, which is red green. There are 20 dinosaurs in the set, 15 of which are red green. That's a common and uncommon. This looks super supported. Lots of good payoffs. Lots of high card quality. First payoff we've got here is Eatskinth, firstborn of Gishath. What's going on there? This is red green for a 2-3 legendary dino with haste. When Eatskeenth, firstborn of Gishath, enters the battlefield, you can pay two. When you do target dino, you control deals damage equal to its power to another target creature. This card's awesome. Scales with the game. Two mana, two, three haste is great. Four mana, two, three haste, deal two to something is great. Four mana, haste, two, three, deal more to something is great. Just awesome. Next up is Earthshaker Dreadmaw, 4GG for a 6-6 Trample. When ETBs, you draw a card for each other dinosaur you control. There's Triumphant Chomp. We shouted that out earlier as the single red sorcery deal two or deal damage equal to the greatest power among dinos you control. There's just it's just a pretty clear like things that care about dinos and things that are dinos. But they're all really well statted. Like they're yeah, just good cards. Like this is gonna be a strong beatdown deck in the yes. format, I think. Like yeah, I think when you're that, crafting, you're going to be hoping to not die to dinosaurs <laughs> running you over. Yes, I think this like I think they tweaked the knobs just right. It looks like like there's not a lot of clunky looking like, I don't know, three mana four two things that you're just like not really interested in. Next up, we've got Explore, which is concentrated in blue green. There's 15 cards that explore in the format, and most of those are in blue and green. And payoffs for exploring there's a few but first and foremost if you haven't played with explore yet any creature especially if it's cheap that says explore on it is just premium and its own payoff yep totally agree i think that's important to shout out like explore is good map tokens by proxy are then good craft is largely good discover is obviously excellent like these last few mechanics we have here they're all just inherently powerful you don't need to like build an explore deck you don't need to build a craft deck Like these cards are just strong. Yes, just good limited mechanics. So we've got the blue green signpost uncommon here, which is Nikanzil current conductor blue green for a two, three legendary merfolk scout. Whenever a creature you control explores a land card, you may put a land card from your hand onto the battlefield tapped. And whenever a creature you control explores a non-land card, put a plus one plus one counter on Nikanzil current conductor. We chatted about uh, a couple other of these payoffs, twists and turns and explorers cash last week. Twists and turns is that single mana enchantment um, that when you explore, you scry one first and then you explore and it also explores when it ATBs. Um, and Explorer's Cache is the thing that comes into play with some plus and plus one counters and you can move them around. Yeah, I kind of like Explorer's Cache quite a bit more after seeing how many Explorer cards there are and just kind of putting together with the Explorer, getting counters on your creatures. This is always kind of like an anthem for your team with Explorer's Cache. I'm, I'm pretty high on this. Wow. Okay. 
Anthem for your team has been announced. <laughs> Gotta get those takes in there. I'm not, sure, I'm not sure how that... I'm reading the card and I'm not seeing Anthem. Well, so let's talk about it. So it's okay. one in a green, ETBs with two plus plus one counters on it. And whenever a creature control with a plus one plus one counter on it dies, put a plus one plus one counter on Explorer's Cache. You can tap to move a counter from this onto a creature at sorcery speed. So the turn you play this, you'll be able to put a plus one plus one counter on something. The next turn, like you don't often have more than two or three creatures on the battlefield. And then let's say you've explored with something. This is just gonna be keeping your creatures one power and toughness larger most of the game. Yeah, it's like a very slow, clunky Ozolith. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's great. Yeah, it's great. <laughs> uh, only five cards that make map tokens. They're mostly in blue. Waterwind Scout is the best of them. We'll talk about that when we get to the top blue commons. We'll have plenty of praise for the scout. I, I thought I was high on craft and until I met Ben Wernie. Um, I'm not <laughs> high enough, apparently, but I am obsessed with all of the craft cards in this format. Yeah, there's 15 cards of craft, mostly in blue-white, but every color get some and this is super supported in the sense that as we talked about craft is just a premium limited mechanic it's going to play very well with other mechanics that are going on in the set super high on craft yep and then lastly discover there's like that one payoff quote-unquote payoff like discover is just insane you just get a free card now it's insane when as ben said the initial thing you're getting is play is like at rate like the four mana three two is like eh, that's like slightly understated but then you're discovering was it three discover four discover on that three, card? i think yeah um so you're just like yeah i'm getting something slightly below rate but then i'm definitely getting something in addition so it's above rate like you want to be able to calibrate that way but they're just excellent it's just a really really powerful mechanic but discover four and five is not that much better than discover three and two that's important to realize also right that you're you're likely hitting a two you're like the most likely to hit a two drop then a three drop probably and then the rest is all pretty equal maybe maybe one drop well and you should not be making your limited curve worse to make your discover better that's i didn't realize that that was a safety tip we needed to throw out there but i think you're right i think it's a good thing to say it's an important safety tip let's take a look at sweepers uh this can be a huge part of a format you know like we think about White Sun's Twilight, Wandering Emperor, and Phyrexia will be one. Like sometimes these really warp a format. We have three l- mini sweepers at non-rare. We talked about one already, Tectonic Hazard, that deals uh, one damage to everything your opponents control. There's also Malicious Eclipse. It's one black black for a sorcery. All creatures get minus two, minus two until end of turn. And if a creature an opponent controls would die this turn, you exile it instead. And lastly, we've got a sweet little cave build around here, giving me some some Gates Ablaze flashbacks um, for Ravnica Legion. What's going on here? Calamitous Cave-In. This is three in red for a sorcery. deals X damage to each creature and each planeswalker, where X is the number of caves you control, plus the number of caves card in your graveyard. I don't know whether I'm higher on caves or crafting. It's a real real push-pull there. Yeah, I love both things. The caves deck looks sweet for sure. And then at rare, we've got Unstable Glyph Bridge. This is three white white for an artifact. When it enters the battlefield, if you cast it for each player, choose a creature with power two or less that player controls, then destroy all creatures except creatures chosen this way. So you can choose a small thing that each player controls. They can keep that, but everything else is going bye-bye. And then it it has craft for five mana, flips into a 5-3 flyer, other excellent text on it, just another great craft card. Oh my God, why is that a card that's so oppressive? Next, we've got Bringer of the Last Gift. This is six black black for six six flying vampire demon at rare. 
When it ETBs, if you cast it, each player sacrifices all other creatures they control. Then each player returns all creature cards from their graveyard that weren't put there this way to the battlefield. This is significantly less good. Yeah, and then something that I think will just be straight up good is Terror Tide. Two black black sorcery, fathomless descent. All creatures get minus X minus X until end of turn where X is the number of permanent cards in your graveyard. I like this sweeper a lot because I think it's not just clearly like you get to go do nothing, do nothing, do nothing. Like you kind of have to build towards it, but I think you'll be able to do so in a way where you're not like at odds with yourself in terms of affecting the board to then sweep it up. Yeah. Fixing. We've got much less running around than Wilds of Eldraine. So we've got treasures first and foremost. We've got the cycle of land cyclers at common, which are two mana, discard a card to search up a basic of their type. There's three colorless. Uh, the one I like the best is Compass Gnome. We talked about this last week, two mana, two, one. When it enters the battlefield, you can search your library for a basic land card or a cave card, reveal it, then shuffle your library and then put that card on top. But there's others running around. I mean, if you want to fix, you'll be able to fix. There's very obviously a five color caves deck Mm -hmm. into the format. Like you're going to be able to do the thing. Well, I think you're going to be able to do the thing with caves. I think five color caves is a thing. There isn't five color green, though. I don't think like green just has poison dart frog. It doesn't have like any search up a basic thing. Like think about that versus Brave the Wilds, Return from the Wilds. Like you had a lot of ways, Root Rider Fawn, like tons of ways in green in the last set to fix. Like it's just, it's just going to be much less. And the land cyclers cycle for two mana and they don't splash themselves. All the land cyclers that common in the set are double pipped. Well, but there's two colorless ways. You already shouted out Compass Gnome. There's Scampering Surveyor as well. Four mana, three, two to ETB, search your library for a basic land card or a cave card. Put it on the battlefield tap, then shuffle. That card's excellent. I just think there's, going to be ways to do it. Maybe maybe not centered in green, but certainly looks like splashing is going to be doable if you want to splash or, mm-hmm. you know, again, five color caves. Yeah. Takes us on to incidental life gain. There are a couple repeated ways to gain some life here, first of which is consuming sepulcher. What's going on there? Well, this is the backside of your favorite card, Tithing Blade. So Tithing Blade comes into play, two mana, they sack a creature, craft with a creature for four and a black, and it drains them every upkeep. They lose a life and you gain a life. We've also got Acolyte of Aklazots, and that's two and a black for a one four. Sacrifice another creature artifact. Each opponent loses one life, and you gain a life. And there's five uh, cards that either have lifelink or can gain or grant lifelink. Shout out to Gargantuan Leech. That's the seven and a black five five with lifelink. Costs one less to cast for each cave you control in each cave in your graveyard. And there are a few one-off ways here, eight, I guess, to be exact. And we want to shout out Soaring Sandwing. That's the Plane Cycler. Four white, white for a three, five flyer. When it ETBs, you gain three life. I love that card. Me too. Moves us on to Mana Sinks. These are either repeatable or incidental places to put mana. So I just want to shout out some like big overarching ways that exist. And then that there are sort of the the smattering of, of our usual fare there otherwise. So Craft, while it's not a repeatable place to put mana it is an incidental place like all your craft cards the the, one of the reasons i'm so high on craft and i have graded pretty harshly other expensive cards in the format and i recognize you won't always get craft cards but all of your craft cards are like two mana then seven mana like you don't need seven you don't need five six seven mana plays in your deck if you're crafting because all your craft cards are things to do higher up on that curve there's also equipment there's like minor equipment theme 
that's definitely a place, repeatable place to put mana. Map tokens, right? They, it costs one to crack the map tokens to explore. Um, exploring isn't like mana sinks or card advantage necessarily, but does like help you churn through some lands on the top of your library, etc. And the hidden lands, the cycle of the common caves that you can pay for and their respective color tap sack to discover for. So there's pretty, those are four pretty big ways spread across, I think, basically all the colors um, to be able to dump mana. Yeah, it seems very clear from looking at the previews that much like in many recent sets, it is going to be hard to run out of things to do. And then otherwise, you got like the usual like handful of ways to pump creatures inherently, a, a token maker, some card draw, some repeatable explorer, etc. But one of the defining features of OG Exelon was that there were almost no mana sinks. Correct. And that seems not to be the case here at all. Yes, I would agree. All right. You ready to duke it out about some Magic the Gathering cards? Get the boxing gloves on? I got to warm up. I got to warm up here. <laughs> Put me in. Okay, we're going to be using uh, the tried and true LR grading scale. Starts us off with A's. These are bombs, game winners, good in many situations, especially when behind they're the best cards in the set, your bomb rares and hyper-efficient spells, cards like Gruff Triplets, Virtue of Persistence, and Fawn's Bane Troll. Your Bs are strong cards that pull you into color or make you want to play that color. Reasons to be in a particular color or combination of colors. These are the best commons and good uncommons. Cards like Hatching Plans, Torch the Tower, Welcome to Sweet Tooth, and Tough Cookie. Your Cs are solid playables. They're the meat and potatoes of a limited deck. These are your role player creatures, normal removal spells. Cards like Voracious Vermin, Edgewall Pack, and Root Rider Fawn. Your Ds are sometimes playable, below average, 22nd, 23rd type cards. Things like Two and Veil Guide, Fell Horseman, or Verdant Outrider. Your Fs are unplayable. Cards you should never put in your deck. Weird rares. Shout out to all of the Enchanting Tales, RIP. And weird sagas like Corvold and the Noble Thief. So in addition to putting like pluses or minuses within those grades, we'll have a couple uh, ways to augment grades. One of them is sideboard cards. These are cards that don't make the main deck, but when you board them in, can be quite good. Cards like Disdainful Stroke or Spider Food. We've also got Build Around cards, which are cards that don't do much on their own. When you build around them, can be anywhere from good to great. Things like Knight of the Sweet's Revenge, Yenna Red Tooth Regent, or Hilda of the Icy Crown. Synergy cards. These are cards that are not good enough to build around, right? You're not shaping your whole draft or deck around them, but they provide good synergy if they're in the right deck. Cards like Princess Takes Flight, Hopeless Nightmare, and Cut-In. Last category is Diminishing Returns cards, which are cards where the second copy is significantly worse than the first. Things like Rat Out or Back for Seconds. All right, Ben, you need to, what do you need to do? You need to stretch out a little bit? Oh, no, I am locked and loaded. See, I had the advantage of grading the cards second, so I got to see my grades compared to yours right away. Um, all right, so we're going to start off with white, and our first common to talk about is Deconstruction Hammer. Single white for an artifact equipment. Equipped creature gets plus one plus one and has three tap sack deconstruction hammer to destroy target artifact or enchantment, and it has an equip cost of one. I gave this a C. You gave this a D plus. I mean, isn't short sword good? No. I think short sword is just good. I disagree. I mean, this is short sword with some upside. Yeah. You're not, not going to be playing this in every white deck. Yeah, maybe not. This, so maybe is, this is going to be a red white card only because it's an artifact that you're going to be able to put on a creature tap. and then tap it to power yeah. up some other things. There's not that many cards that care about that. I, I don't know. I'm not super into this. Maybe, maybe I'm wrong, but I, I'm not budging on C. I like it. I think we are at an impasse then, my friend. I think so. I think so. 
<laughs> Next, we have Oteklon Landmark. This is white for an artifact. When it ETBs, you scry two, and it's got craft with artifact for two and a white. Flips into Oteklon Levitator, which is one four flying golem. And whenever it attacks, target attacking creature without flying gains flying until end of turn. You gave us a C. I gave us a D. This is the only craft card I'm low on. What do you like about it? So my thought about this card is like, how do you think about this in relation to the transforming sagas? So I'm going to need more to go on than that. Sorry, sorry. From Neon Dynasty, like, like Okiba Reckoner Raid. It was like chapter one, drain him for one. Chapter two, drain him for one. Chapter three, it's a two-two menace. You know, significantly like, worse. This is significantly worse. But is it? Is that at all an okay like comparison to make? Like, there's not that much of an upfront cost to this. So you like pay one and scry two fine and then dumping three mana to get a one four later on that seems pretty doable yes but like this card is at odds with itself that's what i don't like about it to me craft is value and late game value and this is on its face an aggressive card that you're not going to get until turn five or turn six like i I don't want any of what this card is doing i don't think i'm not interested in white for scry two to sit around until i get an artifact to turn this into a one four I think this has significant cognitive dissonance within itself as a magic right. card. I'll go down to D plus. Next up, we have Glorifier of Suffering. This is two and a white for a three, two vampire soldier. When it enters the battlefield, you may sacrifice another creature or artifact. When you do put a plus and plus one counter on each of up to two target creatures. I gave this a D. You gave this a synergy C plus. Perhaps D is too low and this should be D plus C minus, but I think this is my main issue with this is I don't see how you can cast this on curve that often. And that's a pretty big knock. Oh, sorry. How you can cast this on curve that often and get the bonus from it. That seems right. hard I mean, to do. The, the curve would be one. Of, it's a white black only card, right? And the curve okay. is one of the white or black one drops into the two mana black artifact that like draws you a card when ETBs mm. or leaves, something like that into this but it's also going to be great on turn five maybe where you're playing another two drop and this and double spelling like i think this is just cheap enough and efficient enough we've seen the like the creature that brings two plus one plus one counters along with it be quite strong and usually that creature costs four mana and i think if you build your deck right the sacrificing could be upside for you or at least is not going to be a steep cost to pay I i think this is Looks like a good card to me in a white black sacrifice deck. Okay. Yeah, I'll see it. I'll come up to Synergy C+. I like it. I'm also thinking that you can probably end up getting them fairly late. Yes, I think it's a very niche card. Yeah, I think that's true. Okay, cool. Next, we've got Guardian of the Great Door. This is white, white for that 4-4 flyer. As an additional cost to cast it, you tap four untapped artifact creatures or lands you control. You give us a C+. I give us build around B. I think this card is incredible i think this is a reason to draft that white red go wide deck i think it's also just a good card in any white deck that's playing creatures and artifacts love this card i think it's great too this is i this is me trying to like temper my grades for expensive cards but this isn't expensive it's cheap it's got convoke and and improvise six mana convoke improvise i get it but like that is still at the end of the day i just i'm wondering is that really truly one of the six drops and yes i know it's not really a six drop that i want to put in my deck and i think yes but i don't know if it quite pulls me in i'm trying to trying to temper those grades just a little bit i love this card okay i think you should let it pull you in baby reel it on in all right 
Moving on to blue. First up is Relic's Roar. Single blue for an instant. Until end of turn, target artifact or creature becomes a dinosaur artifact creature with base power and toughness 4-3 in addition to its other types. I gave this a diminishing returns C, and you just basically you gave it as, as close to an F as you could. You gave it a D minus. So here's the way, I, here's what I'm, and maybe diminishing returns isn't actually fair for this card. Like someone like DeFore or Two Duck Cubed is going to find some deck where Relic's Roar is just like the nuts. No, this card is hot garbage. There's some single mana 4-3, turn your treasure into a 4-3, turn your craft artifact into a 4-3. Sure. Like, By putting a terrible card in No, deck. this is just, yeah, maybe I want to, kind of want to revise my grade as like Synergy C plus or something. I think this is going to be a deck. Week six, Synergy D minus. Yeah, yeah, there you go. There you go. <laughs> It's not an F. It's a weak six synergy D minus. I'm going synergy C plus. That's what I'm doing. Oh my God. My, my grade went higher. How do you like that? I hate it. <laughs> Next up, we've got inverted iceberg. This is one in a blue for an artifact. When it ETBs, you mill a card then draw a card. And it's got craft with artifact four blue blue for a six, six iceberg Titan. And whenever iceberg Titan attacks, you may tap or untap target artifact or creature. Yeah, I thought I thought I was I was doing uh Doing a solid here. I give it a C. You said yep. B minus. B minus. I mean, you can't claim to be high on craft and then give this card a C. This card is... I think I can. No. This card is incredible. This is Sauriform Hybrid, except instead of a 2-2, you get the mill and draw card. But it's Sauriform Hybrid that replaces itself up front. Like, you just need to not die. And this is giving you so much value. It's milling for the blue-black deck. This is at the intersection of everything that's going on in the format. This card is nutter butters. I mean, I so I felt all of those things. I was going to grade this highly. And then I was trying to like really think about the case of this is just at the end of the day, it's just two mana, draw a card, mill a card, which is all good. And then it doesn't affect the board though until much later. Until it turns into a 6-6 six, six and has two for one your opponent and is a massive threat. This card is so strong. Let let your emotions guide your card evaluations, my friend. I'll go C+, plus, but I'm a little nervous about it. I'm a little nervous about it. No, no. Okay. Card's wonderful. Next up is Oaken Siren. This is one in a blue for a 1-2 artifact creature. That's flying in vigilance, and you can tap to add blue, spend this mana only to cast an artifact spell or activate an ability of an artifact source. I gave this a synergy C plus. You gave this a D plus. This is great for the artifact decks. Mana sync for craft. This, mana this sync card's for craft. good. And flying vigilance, meaning you can peck in and then cast something post-combat. This is a good version of but this. But your effect. craft decks don't care about getting in for one damage. Your craft decks are gonna win the game in the late game, I think. I mean, it's still a body that then it, then it holds off one ones or whatever. Like it's you can't knock this for being able to attack. That's not a downside. Well, a mana rock might almost be you might almost be more interested in a mana rock in those decks that's not vulnerable to removal. I mean, you're playing because this, this card might get a dead weight out of your opponent's hand. You cannot be describing these upsides as downsides. <laughs> your opponent might want to kill this. Like we're okay, we're in debate class right now. Oh yeah, I can. Can I mean, win the argument? Sure, it's just not your arguments are bad right now. I think this is going to be good in the artifact decks. I think in, I think blue white and blue red are going to want this. I agree. I'll go synergy C. All right. Next up is frilled cave worm. Three and a blue for a two five. 
And as Descend 4, it gets plus 2, plus 0. I gave this a D, you gave this a C minus. I originally gave this a C plus, then I saw your D and I moved it down to C minus. I like this card. I think 4 mana 2, 5 we've seen has been a very annoying card to play against, like to try to attack into. And this is naturally going to turn into a 4 mana 4, 5 over the course of a longer game. I don't think this card is going to be a high pick. But I think it is going to be you're going to be happy to put this in your four drop slot when you end up with them. What did this is not a let me ask you this. This is just me trying to calibrate my like current approach to grading these four mana, five mana, six mana plays. What what would your grade have been at the end of the set for Scream Puff? Hope to not play D. Right. That's but like Scream Puff. If it was in your deck, you weren't mad. Like, it was good. It filled, like, a role at the mana value slot. But at the end of the day, you were never missing it. And that's sort of how I feel about Frilled Caveworm. I'm not saying that, like, this is a bad card. I'm not saying that I won't put this in decks. Just saying I don't think I'm ever going to be like, ah, I wish I got that Frilled Caveworm in the four-drop slot. Yeah, just a respectable card. So it probably is a D. Yeah, okay. Ooh, next card. What do we got here? I I didn't change my grade here. I'm going to prematurely concede here because I didn't see it until I saw how high your grade was. And then I thought about it some more. But we've got Waterlogged Hulk. This is blue for an artifact. It taps to mill a card. And you can craft with Island for three and a blue. And it turns into Watertight Gondola, which is a 4-4 Vigilance. Descend 8. It can't be blocked as long as there are 8 or more cards in your graveyard that are permanents. And it's got a crew cost of 1. Explain to me and the people why you're right about Waterlogged Hulk. Okay, so this is it's a similar idea to what I was talking about, what I was trying to talk about with the white one. And that like... To get this onto the battlefield, so low cost, right? Just single blue, that's going to slot in on your curve wherever. If it's turn one, great. Tap mill a card, also great. Going to start fueling descent or whatever. Craft with island, you mean I have to stone raid myself? No, no, no. You have milled an island along the way with waterlogged hulk to transform this. Then it transforms into a 4-4 vigilance crew one. I already feel like crew one is pretty shallow. And then if you, ha- I don't even think you have to get to the descend eight unblockable part of it like i just think that's gravy but 4-4 vigilance crew one is huge and there are going to be times where you just want to keep using this to mill i just think this is a great card it is a great card you gave it a b i gave it a build around d what i was thinking initially was that this wasn't worth jumping through the hoops for but i think the best card of this card to me that you haven't even mentioned yet is on turn one this is going to give you descend four like on turn four or on turn five, like it's going to give you descend so early. Mm -hmm. And then the times where you draw it late in the game where it would be a bad top deck, it can be your win condition. Like it just it's just excellent at all points in the game. I was thinking it was at odds with itself and kind of not worth jumping through the hoops for. But the fact that this says if you draw it early, you always get to send without your opponent being able to really say or do anything about it. Like this, this card single handedly discerning on descend quickly. Mm-hmm. It's quite strong, I think. Yeah. And then, yeah. And then when you want the body or the vehicle body, you get it. Right. And then it's going to be a relevant Magic the Gathering card for the purpose of the game later. Mm-hmm. Very good. All right. Lodestone Needle is up next. This is a one and a blue for an artifact with flash. When it ETBs, tap up to one target artifact or creature and put two stun counters on it. You know, I love some stun counters, Ethan. I do. It's also got craft with artifact, two and a blue. It flips into Guidestone Compass, artifact, one tap. Target creature you control explores, activate only as a sorcery. You gave us a C minus. I gave us a B minus, says the person who thinks he's high on craft. I mean, this card is, again, 
everything I want for my craft cards. It's going to help you not die while you're derping around the late game. And then a mana sink to explore every turn, like to help make sure you're hitting land drops to be able to, again, like dump your mana into all these places while also making sure you draw action. Guidestone Compass, if you once you craft this, is just an incredible magic card. Uh, yeah, I just I'm too low on this. I just don't like this front half. Like, I just don't feel like either of these is worth a card. Is that crazy? It seems crazy to me. The back half is you would play the back half straight up if you had the option to. Tap one tap target creature you control explores. That's one tap. If it lands on top of your deck, you draw the land. Yeah, it's such a low mana investment. And, right. and once you start hitting the lands, it's essentially going to be free because it's helping you hit land drops. The back half is incredible. All right. All right. I'm coming the, up for the, the minus. front half. I agree is mediocre, but the front half helps you get you're just, to the back you're just, half. Yeah, you're just dying for any excuse to play that effect. And I think you found it. That's what I think. <laughs> uh, next up, we've got Hurl into History. It's three blue blue for an instant counter target artifact or creature spell. Discover X where X is that spell's mana value. I gave this a C. You gave this a B minus. I got my second. Let me ask you this here. Go, go for it, buddy. Are you ready for it? Uh-huh. Do you like Mystic Snake? Yeah. I think I like Mystic Snake. This card is very close to Mystic Snake. Yeah, it's a five mana counterspell. That's, this is the thing where it's actually not Mystic Snake, and Mystic Snake is much better, because at the very least, you can flash in Mystic Snake as a four mana 2-2. Two, two. You can't do that here. This card is abysmal when you're behind. Like, abysmal. And I think, I th- think that's why I'm just trying to be like, it's abysmal when you're behind, it costs five mana, I can't give this... I can't, this doesn't pull me into blue. That's how I feel. I think this does. I think this is a reason to build a control deck where you're anticipating not being behind. Wait, the control decks do anticipate being behind. That's their whole deal is that they're behind. Not good control decks. (laughs) Like you have good early interaction, you keep pace and then you win once you're stable into the late game. The other thing is that like, yeah, when you're looking for Mystic Snake and you like want to affect the board, you counter something and you get another counter spell or you find your two mana artifact that, uh turns into a six six like there are also going to be enough times where like this is you're like man i really wish that i had something impacting the board now but i don't mystic snake comparison is not working on me i'm very upset that you tried to trick me (laughs) with this mystic snake thing i'm sticking with c i I think I, i see the ceiling on this card for sure but i also see the floor there is a floor but i think if if you're in danger of hitting the floor you're just not putting the card in your deck or you're not interested in it so maybe maybe it's a c plus but i think the ceiling on this card is incredibly high okay next up we've got council of echoes this is four blue blue for a four four flyer with descend four when this etbs if there are four more permanent cards in your graveyard return up to one target non-land permanent other than this to its owner's hand you give us a c minus i give us a synergy b minus i don't think this matters uh it's good if you do the thing it's probably not a b minus it's probably yeah, this is like, never pulling you into blue when was the last time a six mana four four flyer pulled you into any color and your deck is get you mr craft mr craft macaroni mr <laughs> cheesosaurus rex you are gonna be you've got plenty of places to dump six mana yeah maybe c plus or c i agree not a c plus this is this is 2015 ben telling you that this is a c plus because it was eight years ago it's not anymore all right c can i get a c you can at least a c i'm gonna i'm gonna go c okay all right that takes us on to black commons first one we've got here is greedy freebooter black for a one one when this dies scry one and make a treasure token you gave us a c i gave us a d minus do i win 
What was that little face? For folks folks that aren't watching on YouTube, Ben just like tilted his head to the side and pursed his lips a little bit. Like, your move. I gave it a D minus. What do you have to say about that? Uh, I'll tell you what I have to say about this is that this, I think, is good enough. Not worth a, not worth a card? Is it D minus? No, this is definitely worth a card. So I understand that it's only half of it, but it does give you the scry one. It's like, it's half of Shambling Gas, right? Shambling Gas was a 1-1. One, one. When it died, it gave something minus one, minus one until on a turn or made a treasure. This doesn't give you the choice. And you obviously were often trying to do the minus one, minus one a lot. But there were definitely times where you chose to make a treasure. This trades off with X1s, which we know are you know 20% of the format or whatever. Sacrifice fodder, double descend. I, I think this just does enough for a one drop. I don't. I, would th- I think I'm going into the format hoping to never play this card. And it would double it trades with something and then gives you craft fodder or it's craft fodder. And then it do, you, this just does enough. You're, you're way too low on this. Maybe maybe I'm too high on C, but I think this is above replacement. I think, I think the lowest you can go is C minus on this card. Oof. That's so like you're unhappy if your use of this card is sacrificing it. I think you are only happy if this manages to trade with an X one. I think it's fair. I don't know. You're acting like scry one and treasure is nothing. It's not nothing. It's not nothing, but it's not a card. No, like but block, it's block and get a three of these things. I, yeah, but like you're going to have places to use these rectangles with craft, with sacrifice. It's descend. Like it counts as descend. It just does enough for one mana for the low, low price of one tapped swamp. I don't know. Maybe I've got 2015 Cardivals, but this looks real bad to me. Next up is Worm Coil Engine. Can you believe it? <laughs> All right. Next, we've got Death Cap Marionette. This is one in a black for a 1-1 Death Touch. When it ETBs, you may mill two cards. You give us a C-. minus. I give us a Synergy C+. I think this card is going to be bread and butter for decks that are trying to descend yeah i'm trying i was i wonder if you made this uh analogy or throwback you know i think it was sam black at first who was talking about or that's who i remember talking about at first in theros beyond death there was this mechanic that let you escape cards right so you could cast them for a mana cost and then have you know some amount of fodder in your graveyard to exile and so there was venomous hierophant which is four mana for a three three death touch when etb you milled three and because if you had escape costs of exile three cards, this was basically a two for one, right? It was giving you the three cards in your graveyard for a potential future escape. And that's how I was trying to think about mill with this descend, descend four, or descending, descend four, descend eight, whatever. But at the end of the day, I, I felt like I had to knock this for two mana, one, one death touch. But you're saying, no, you think it's okay? Well, especially because there's not X1 hate, like you're not yeah. in danger of getting ratted outed or whatever. I, I think I like this card a lot in blue, black or black, green. OK, I'll, I'll come up to Synergy C plots with you. Next up is Mephitic Draft. This is one in a black for an artifact. Whenever Mephitic Draft enters the battlefield or is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, you draw a card and you lose one life. You give us a D plus. I gave us a Synergy C plus. Much like the former card, I think this is going to be bread and butter in sacrifice decks in artifact decks places that I guess crafting doesn't do the thing with this because you exile when you craft, but there's a lot going on here to like. Yeah, this probably is unique enough in those decks that it's not. What I was thinking was like, you would play it in those decks for sure, but that if you were in that deck for the right reasons, ideally, like you wouldn't miss it necessarily. Like you would have your, whatever, your black 
two mana one one they exile a card from their hand and that's your sack fodder you have other things that don't literally not impact the board other than cantripping but i bet there will be times where you end the draft and you're like i wish i had a draft or two as some more fodder so i'll come up i think d plus is too low We've talked about this card already, but I think we really need to give you the podium for a second here, Ben. This is Tithing Blade, one in a black for an artifact. When ETBs, each opponent sacks a creature, and then you craft with creature for four in a black. Consuming Sepulchre is what it transforms into. This is an artifact at the beginning of your upkeep. Each opponent loses one life, and you gain one life. I gave this a C. You gave me this a B minus. Talk to me, baby. I love this card. This is my top black common, which it is it is probably not the that best is black common, the but it is, of hottest takes. <laughs> it is the best black common in my heart. I this card is either going I think it is not going to be bad. It's either going to be you're fine playing it or it's going to be very good. I'm I'm hoping it's going to be very good. Cuz like I in, in theory this could just be like you get a couple of these. This is like your win con. This is your, your plan. Yes, deck. it is yeah. a, it is a deck's plan. Yeah. At common, which I think is what is so appealing to me about it. But mm-hmm. aside from the backside, just at face value, if you manage to stick tithing blade where you like do this, your opponent sacrifices a creature, then you have this rectangle on the battlefield for crafting, for sacrifice fodder in your white-black deck. It's going to, when it goes to the graveyard, put a permanent in your graveyard for descend. Like Much like some of those other cards, I just think, especially the blue one that um, had craft to turn into the 6-6, I just mm. think this card is at the intersection of a lot of what the format is asking of you, as well as potentially just being an intrinsically strong magic card itself, depending on where the board state is at. Like the drain one, you know, people will remember ill-gotten gains or whatever, ill-gotten inheritance, I believe is what it was called from Ravnica Mm -hmm. Allegiance. This effect is a lot more power. If you have any kind of board presence, this drain one effect is actually very hard to overcome. Yeah. Well, and imagine like if you're picking Tithing Blade highly and you have a few of them, oof. I, I am. What do you really, mean? Imagine that's that is what you'll be doing. That's what I'll be doing. I don't, I don't know if other people will be doing it or not. And I, I wanted to grade this highly, too. I really did. I was trying to just like, t- again, trying to temper the floor of like, we don't play edict effects in limited. The, the royal we. The advice that you would hope to receive from a podcast such as ours would be do not play one in a black sorcery speed edict in limited. Yes. So that is like you you have to wrap your head around that part of the card. You would also never play the backside. You would never just play whatever, four mana, five mana, drain one. But combined by our powers combined, as Captain Planet would say, I think it is a great Magic the Gathering card. But also, I mean, this is not real justification. This is justification in my head. The more of them, the more aggressively you pick it, the more edict effects you have, the better your edict effects are going to get. Correct. Yeah, I, I agree. Like, but that's that is the thing where yes, these these do get better in multiples, and they are a game plan. I'm just really trying to temper <laughs> your excitement with the realities of this card because I think you and I are both pretty high on it. I think I actually don't think it made my my top black comments, but I like it a lot. I just want to temper it with like the floor of this card is low. Floor of a card's low, but the ceiling is super high. And like the game planness of it is uh-huh. so enticing. Oof, I love Tithing Blade. All right, next up, I- I'm prepared to be very wrong about this. It's Bitter Triumph, one in a black for an instant. As an additional cost to cast the spell, discard a card or pay three life. Destroy target creature or planeswalker. I gave this a C plus. You gave this a B. And I, I could be too low on this, but I th- this is a real cost. 
And the fact that it's not, or it's five mana, which is often the, what we see, like you are either discarding a card or paying three life. Now you can think about the discard a card as upside, potentially pitch a land, get to descend four. Like it's not all strictly downside here, but it's a cost. Yeah. I still think it's too efficient to too not efficient. be a great card. Yeah. I'm going to stick at C plus for now, but that's probably B minus B. Next, we've got Canonized in Blood. One and a black for an enchantment. At the beginning of your end step, if you descended this turn, put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. You can pay seven, sack it to make a four, three flying vampire demon. You gave us an F. I give us a D. This card is not great. I don't think it's a hard F, though. I think this card is playable in white black. Uh, yeah, I just think I think one and a black enchantment at the beginning of your end step. Let's say there's no work. One in a black at the beginning of your end step, put a plus and plus one counter on target creature you control. I don't even think that card's that good. I agree. And so you have to work for this. And then the seven mana sack to get a four three flyer. I don't care about that. Like, I just think this card is terrible and you should never put it in your deck. I agree. It's not very good. <laughs> you look so sheepish right now. I mean, it's not a great card. I'm not. Yeah. I don't love being on the side of defending this card. <laughs> So the next couple cards of these, I think we don't necessarily have grade differences on, but could be tricky to evaluate. So I think we want to dive into why they are good. The first one of these is Visage of Dread, one in a black for an artifact. When an ETB's target opponent reveals their hand, you choose an artifact or a creature card from it. That player discards that card, and then it crafts with two creatures for five and a black to turn into a 5-4 with Menace, that whenever it enters the battlefield or attacks, you may mill two cards. You give us a B-, minus. I gave us a B-. This is the craft thing of this is just an excellent two for one, right? Yeah. Yeah. Like you wouldn't play the front side of this on its own, but the front side of this is very likely, especially in this set where people are going to be slanted. A lot of these, you know, a lot of the instant and sorcery effects we usually get are tacked on to artifacts with craft anyway. So that count is a little higher. So this is going to nab something unless they're hellbent or nearly hellbent. And then... Yeah, craft with two creatures, pay six. That's a cost for sure. Like you got to do some work to get those two creatures in the bin and you definitely don't want to remove them from the battlefield or whatever. But like what you get is so good. It's so good. That's where I think, that's why I'm thinking about these or that's why I was recalling the transforming sagas from Neon Dynasty was like, it's a delay, it's a cost. But what you get is so good. If you just think about every step of the way is what I'm getting worth it. And I think it really is. And again, craft begets craft. That's another thing we haven't really talked about is like the more of the higher you are on these, then the more flexible you are of like, oh, I actually don't want need the five for now. What I really want is to drain with my edict artifact. So I'm going to actually sacrifice visage of the dread rather than like, right. The things existing let you have more opportunities to transform them. So I do think like they turn into a sort of greater than the sum of their parts um, style deck. Absolutely. Next one of these is Grasping Shadows. This is three and a black for an enchantment. Whenever a creature you control attacks alone, it gains death touch and lifelink until end of turn. Put a dread counter on Grasping Shadows. Then if there are three or more dread counters on it, transform it. It transforms into a cave, Shadows Lair, which can tap for a black. Or you can pay black, tap it, remove a dread counter from Shadows Lair. You draw a card and you lose a life. This card is incredible i was kind of sad that you were high on this card <laughs> that's how i, I feel about it <laughs> when i saw that you highlighted it and we had the same grade i was like oh i bet he graded it lower than saw my grade and then had to he really thought about it he's like oh ethan's right but no 
you just came to the right conclusion. So here's why this card is great. And I want to compare it to, there's a card that we didn't talk about that both of us gave an F in white called Might of the Ancestors. It's an enchantment that says the beginning of combat on your turn, you can choose a creature to get plus two plus oh in vigilance until end of turn. I was just like, this card's terrible. Like it needs creatures to be good. It's only good if you have attacks or whatever. Like cards like that, I just don't want to put in my deck. Grasping Shadows seems like it's similar, right? It's like, well, you only get the to you know, start the snowball thing if you have attacks. But Death Touch and Lifelink solve a lot of the problems that I have with only attacks, right? Because you can just, whatever. Okay, I don't really want to, I want my blockers back. I'm just going to send this little 1-1 one, one or whatever. And that's fine because it, it'll have attacks. Or Lifelink means you can decide to start trade trading or racing, I mean. Like you can just be like, now my 4-4 four, four has Death Touch and Lifelink. What are you going to do? Yeah, are you going to trade with it and then like deal with my 3-3 three, three with Death Touch and Lifelink the next turn? It's impossible to race. And, and then, then after, and then after you get done putting yourself, your opponent in a position where they can't possibly race you, you have three cards locked and loaded once you're mm-hmm. stable from the Lifelink. And you've ramped yourself. So And yeah. you've ramped yourself. Yeah, card's yeah. incredible. Grasping Shadows is awesome. All right, that takes us on to red. Sunfire Torch is up first. This is single red for an artifact equipment. Equip cost is one. And it says equipped creature gets plus one plus oh and has whenever this creature attacks, you may sacrifice Sunfire Torch. When you do, this creature deals two damage to any target. I gave this a D. You gave this a C minus. Yeah, I think this card has a lot of small things going on for it. You're like you have shock in artifact form, which is kind of upside in this format. I mean, it's a little more expensive, but this is going to give you some removal that is also going to trigger your artifact ETBs in a red white deck. This is also giving you an artifact that you can tap to pump up your things that want you to tap artifacts to, you know, give extra bonuses. I think this has enough small things going on that I could see myself playing it. Yeah, again, I don't think a D doesn't mean I don't see myself playing it. I just don't think I'll ever be done with a draft and be missing it but it's yeah, possible it's, eh, it's probably you're probably right d plus next up we've got hot foot gnome this is two and a red for a three one with haste and you can tap to give another target creature haste until end of turn you give us a d plus i gave this a c i think this card is going to be scary to play against it itself having haste as a three powered thing is pretty nice mm-hmm. the threat of activation on future turns i really like this card yeah and it's got good types it's an artifact itself There's not a lot of X1 punishing things. I mean, there's going to be tokens running around, but I think this does enough that you're interested in it. Yeah, I'll come as a C minus. I think this is above replacement. All right, next, we've got your boy, Dowsing Device. This is one in red for an artifact. When this or another artifact enters the battlefield under your control, up to one target creature you control gets plus one plus O and gains haste until end of turn. And then you can transform Dowsing Device if you control four or more artifacts. It flips into Geode Grotto, which is a cave that taps for red. Or you can pay two in a red tap until end of turn target creature gains haste and gets plus X plus O where X is the number of artifacts you control activate only as a sorcery. You give us a build around B. I give us a synergy C. Okay, I think I'm I think I'm prepared for arguing up on this card. So uh, a card that maybe you and I were higher on than, than most people, but I think we can agree was clunkier than it looked was Dragon Spark Reactor and Neon Dynasty. So this was a one in a red artifact. Whenever an artifact entered the battlefield under your control, you put a counter on it and you pay four tap sacrifice it to deal damage to any target equal to uh, the number of counters on it. But had terrible stats, even in like, you know, aggressive red decks uh, in Neon Dynasty. And I think part of that awkwardness was those aggro decks wanted to affect the board on turn two, but the best, but for Dragonspark Reactor to be good, you had to play it on turn two. And so there's this tension here. Dowsing Device makes up for that tension because it grants haste 
to the creatures, right? So playing a two drop on turn two versus playing this on turn two, then playing your two drop on turn three to get the plus one plus zero in haste, a very similar thing. And in fact, you're getting a slight bonus of being able to have that plus one plus zero um, attack or whatever. You do the reverse, play your two drop, this comes into play, it grants the plus one plus zero somewhere going to be pretty trivially easy then in an artifact deck to flip this and once you flip this this is a incredible mana sink that's what i was going to ask like are you that excited about flipping it because i i'm yes. more excited about the front half than i am the back half i think the back half i mean it's not quite like Kessig wolf run which is like plus x plus o and trample like it doesn't quite do that but pretty big deal to just be like my one one is a this now my flying whatever is huge. Now, like, I don't know. I think this card's really, really powerful. Well, so here, here are my thoughts. And I, I do hear everything you're saying. Like, I can see the upside for sure. And I do, I think this card's best case scenario is coming down on turn two and then giving some subsequent artifact creatures haste when they enter the battlefield. Are you really excited about spending your whole turn to like give an artifact creature plus four plus O or plus three plus O or something like when craft is in the format. I just think there are so many places to put mana in the format. Well, then great. This ramped you. This is a land now. Yeah, sure. I mean, fine. If it's a land and I guess it's upside having the other text. I, I wish this had the option to remain dowsing device. Because I uh-huh. think this is going to flip pretty quickly. And I think there's going to be a lot of times you're sad about it flipping. Yeah, maybe. Maybe that's true. I don't know. I just think like this slots on in the early turns of the curve really nicely, either on two, three, or four. And then, yeah, you're right. You only get the bonus a couple times before this flips in a if you're building your deck right. But then I think that's where evaluations are different is that I'm seeing the backside is all upside. Either it's ramping you to your expensive craft stuff, or it's like, yeah, I also am turning all of my tiny threats into, you know, huge chunks of damage potentially. Right. I think this card is going to be as good as Geode Grotto is. And that's the question mark for me. Yeah, I I think that's fair. All right. That takes us on to green commons. We're first up, we've got staggering size. One on a green for an instant. Target creature gets plus three, plus three and gains trample until end of turn. You give us a D plus. I give us a C. I've got one word for you, Ethan. Dinosaurs. Yeah. They're big and they want trample and they want to get bigger. I think this card's good. Yeah, I just, I, I I don't know. I hear what you're saying. I never rate the two mana green tricks highly. Like but Titanic plus growth. three plus three and trample is I so know. much. I know, I know, I know. Does this get diminishing returns at all, or is it just good in dinos? I think it's just good in beat down dinos. Yeah. All right, I'll go like, center. I, th- I'll go I, center. Th- I would, I would argue that this is better than the stupid fight spell in dinos. I think that's true. I don't think yeah, then, that's not that's not an argument. It's got to be a good C, right? All right, I'm into it. After that, we have Castlem's Stone Tree. This is two and a green for an artifact. When it enters the battlefield, look at the top six cards of your library. You may put a land card from among them onto the battlefield tapped. Put the rest onto the bottom in a random order. Craft with Cave for five and a green turns into a five five. I gave this, this is my lowest graded. I think craft card. I gave this a D plus. You gave this a C plus. C plus is my revised grade for this card. <laughs> What? And initially, I gave this card a B on my first pass through. And then I saw your D plus and I thought about it a little more. This was also initially my top green common. And then I was like, <laughs> uh, probably not. Wow. Yeah, this is this is I, I almost want to say the B word like no three, three mana for what, what was it? V- Vociferous vine wall or whatever. The like O2 looked at the top six and found a gate um so you look at the top six 
comes it goes into play, great. But this isn't like fixing or whatever. Yeah, kind of, if you try hard enough. And then six, it doesn't put the cards in the graveyard. Then it's craft is six mana for a five five, and you have to craft a cave. You have to craft caves. There'll be caves in your graveyard that you'll sacrifice to discover this with. This is not a good card. Ah, I really like it. I think this I card is. I think this card is bad. I don't think it's bad. I think you're gonna be happily playing this in a caves deck. The three three mana ramp is not a good card. Three mana ramp leave an artifact on the battlefield. So the the comparison I had in my head, which is not really a let me ask you this because I don't think it's right. But the reason I was so high on this card initially is I think this card's kind of close to Beanstalk Giant from Eldraine. Like assuming you don't whiff on the land, you get three mana ramp yourself. And then later you get six mana for a five five. Now it's not like seven mana for a seven seven, but it's it's similar ish to that. That's not selling you at all. You're giving me I'm deep very, eyebrow. You're giving me furrowed was, eyebrows here. If it was craft with land, I'd be all about it. I'm not into craft with cave. Right. It, it, you have to have to play in a caves deck. That's why it's not the best green common. That's why it's a little lower. But I think in the caves deck, it is close to that power level of card. But that deck already has plenty of power and just needs to not die. Not that's die my only three mana my, zero zero. Yeah. Yeah. That's my only worry. Uh-huh. So, uh, yeah. But I think this card is going to get played and going to have a home in caves decks. Wait, going to get played. <laughs> Is, is I told you I pulled my grades way back. <laughs> this card will be legal in LCI Limited. That's true. That's true. All right, that takes us on to the green uncommons. First up, we've got Glowcap Lantern. This is green for an equipment. It's got an equip cost of two. Equipped creature has. You may look at the top card of your library at any time, and whenever it attacks, it explores. You give us a C minus. I give us a D. Yeah, my initial thought was. D, but then I was trying to think if there was any way to gain benefit from the knowledge. Like if you have other explore stuff, you know, is it nice to know? Like once you equip it, you could decide not to attack, right? Like if you feel like you need the plus and plus one counter or not. I mean, obviously, let's say if you have attacks with the creature you equip this to, it's great. And it's not like a high praise for a card, right? Having attacks, but like either getting a plus and plus one counter and the surveil is good or drawing a land is also great. And then there's potential for, I've got choices in my hand of what I can do. Am I going to explore or not? Oh, I know what the top card of my library is. It's not a land. I don't, I won't explore this turn. I'll do, you know, like I, I realize I'm I, like, you're laughing at me. Like I'm insane or whatever, but well, I, I've got to, let me ask you this locked and loaded, which is, <laughs> did you not give curiosity a D minus in the last format? Like this is worse than curiosity. No, it isn't. Yes. No, it isn't. Because this doesn't actually have to connect. I'm not saying that this is a good card. I was just trying to see if there were... Because my I was like, initially, this is an equipment that doesn't add power or toughness and requires an attack. This card stinks. That was my initial thought. I was just trying to see if there was more this card had to offer. I think no was the answer to that for me. Okay. I think I'm hoping to not play this card. Next up, we've got Tendril of the Mycotyrant. This is one and a green for a 2-2 Fungus Wizard, and you can pay seven to put seven plus one plus one counters on target non-creature land you control. Becomes a 0-0 Fungus Creature with haste. It's still a land. You give us a C minus, I give us a B minus. This is Mana Sync with a capital M. This is Grizzly Bears like 90% of the time. But that 10% is not. 95% of the time. That 10% is not. It's going to be a problem. It's not a B minus. This doesn't pull you into green at all. This is, it was everything in my power to not give this a D or a D plus. Eh, It's better than a bear. It's a C plus, a a C. A C is as low as I will go on this card. It's not a B minus. I agree. I concede that. It does not pull you into green. Yeah. 
I'm uh, yeah, I'm going C minus still on Tendril. I don't think it's that good. All right, that takes us on to artifacts. We've got one common here to argue about, Buried Treasure. This is two for an artifact. Treasure, you can tap, sack it to add one mana of any color, and you can pay five to exile it from your graveyard to discover five. You give us an F, I give us a synergy D+. What is the synergy with losing? <laughs> oh, <laughs> got him. <laughs> no, I think like there's a lot of cards that mill. There's cards that let you loot. There's cards that let you rummage. Like the you're trying to pitch this and then you have a resource in your graveyard to discover five with or you play this and it's a thing on the battlefield and then you sacrifice it and you discover five from your graveyard. This is sacrifice fodder or mill fodder or rummage fodder. So I think if you have enough of those effects in your deck, you're interested in buried treasure. Again, this is like another glue piece that kind of is at the intersection of everything that the format is asking you to do with your cards. Your your sell on this card is that ideally this never hits the battlefield or my hand, basically. Or hits the battlefield and is sacrificed or hits your hand as rummaged away. I, I think there are ways to... Like, you're fine if you sack it. It's quite just, a sack fodder. You, you just don't need to, to play cards that are not cards to do that. All, you, you have plenty of other things. Mr. You're never going to run out of stuff to do in this format. Yeah, because you're not putting stuff that two-for-ones you, like buried treasure in your deck. This card's abysmal. It doesn't two-for-one you. I, I disagree that this, this card is abysmal. This is do-nothing... Then later on, you can pay five mana to get a random two drop from your hand, from your deck. This card is bad. You're never playing this. I think I will. <laughs> You're I will. never playing this. Really? Yeah, never. This card's bad. Mm. I, I don't mind it. <laughs> <laughs> I, don't like, I don't like it. <laughs> I don't, I'm, I don't. I'm, not, I'm not offended if it ends up in my deck if I think I'll be able to get it to the graveyard. I just love your like your line reading there was like it's it's only ever been nice to me. Like I don't I don't see what the problem is. Well, just because I feel like you're so actively hateful of it. Yeah, like I look at buried treasures never said anything but kind things about our podcast. <laughs> Next up is uh, I can't believe I'm lower on this than you. This is scampering surveyor. It's four mana for a 3-2 artifact creature. It's Skittering Surveyor's Uncle or whatever. It's a 3-2, enters the battlefield, search your library for a basic land or cave card, put it onto the battlefield, tapped, then shuffle. I gave this a C. You gave this a B. This card is incredible, isn't it? Costs four mana. Four mana for a 3-2 that searches up a cave. Like, this is going to be bread and butter enabler for the caves deck. This is going to enable splashes for you. It's a two for one. It's a, a relevant body for four mana plus a ramp plus a search for a basic. I think this yeah. card is outstanding. Yeah, this is probably closer to the solemn simulacrum than I'm giving it credit for. I'll come up to B minus. This is, this is a four drop I can I can make room for in my deck. All right, we got a couple uncommon lands to duke it out about here. We already talked about Pit last week. You mean to tell you it's an F again? I do. It, this card is this card has gone up for me. Oh my after god! Seeing you're, out of, you're out of control. You gave us an F. I gave us a C plus. Pit of Offerings is a land cave. ETBs tapped. Whenever it enters the battlefield, exile up to three target cards from graveyards. Tap add a colorless or tap add one mana of any of the exiled cards colors you mean to tell me after seeing how good descend is how important caves look to the caves deck this card you are 
never cutting this from the caves deck. I think that's probably where it's only getting played, but you're never cutting it from there. Ben, this is ETB tapped wastes. This is this is ETB tapped wastes unless it's like turn five. Sure. That's horrible. You cannot tell people to put that in their decks. I can when there's build arounds like d- deal X damage to creatures where X is the number of caves you control. <sighs> this card is omega bad. Oh, but here's, okay. what, here's what's going to happen. You are going to put this in your deck. You're going to look at an opening hand and you're going to have to mulligan because of this card. And that's when I'm going to get the discord message that says you were right about pit of offerings. I don't think you're getting that message. I really don't. Okay. I've, I'm, I'm, I have firm I'm, not, I'm not budging on pit of offerings here. <laughs> firm convictions on pit of offerings. Nor am I budging on volatile faults, but I, I don't think this is an, is a full on F. This is a, Uncommon cave, it taps for colorless, and you can pay one tap, sacrifice it, destroy a target non-basic land and opponent controls. That player may search their library for a basic land card, put it onto the battlefield, then shuffle. You create a treasure token. I gave this a sideboard thinking about the rare creature lands. You gave this a D plus. I mean, I can I, see I can see D plus in caves. Yeah, I think sometimes you're going to have to run this as a waste in caves. Mm-hmm. But I like I, I not to like beat a dead horse i like pit of offerings better than this because it could give you colors and it takes your opponent off to send i really appreciate the optimist that you are in preview season i really do it it balances us out nicely you're just really going like mana bases are always great and limited and never difficult to enable and we already talked about how there really isn't fixing in the format so like if there was brave the wilds or return the wilds and evolving wilds do I think you could get away with a couple colorless or potentially colorless lands? Sure, maybe. I don't think you have that luxury here, buddy. I don't know. Yeah, I mean, I'm not happy about Volatile Fault. I, I am happy about Pit of Offerings. But this is, I think the number of cards that we feel passionately about that we're different on is a boon for the format. I think this format is deep. I think it's going to be cool. I agree. I think there's also a bit of tension here, and I think we will we'll be more harmonious in the top commons. I think we should uh, proceed in that direction. Okay, deep breath. Just a little cleansing. Let's <laughs> cleanse the palate here with some top commons and uncommons. I'm going to start us off here with my white commons. My number one is Iron Paw Aspirant. One and a white for a one-two when it enters the battlefield. Put a plus and plus one counter on target creature. I pushed version with an extra bit of toughness there of a card that I am always too high on. <laughs> Number two, we've got Flying Rabble Master, Old Tech Cloud Guard, three and a white for a three, two flyer. When ETBs create a one, one colorless gnome artifact creature token. And my hot take number three is the Plane Cycler, Soaring Sandwing, four white, white for a three, five flyer. When it ETBs, you gain three life and it has Plane Cycling for two. Yeah, we're fairly different on the white commons. I think largely because white's commons are not great. Like it was tough to find three good ones. White looks by far the weakest to me at common wow. out of the gate and spoiler season. Number one, I'm sure this isn't going to end up being number one, but this was just lack of feeling passionately about any of white's commons. I put petrify in the number one slot, one in a white aura enchant artifact or creature enchant a permanent can't attack or block and it's activated abilities can't be activated. And the number two slot, I've got old tech cloud guard, the three, two flyer that brings a one, one token along with it. And then in the number three slot, my synergy hot take here, Tinker's Tote, two and a white for an artifact when ETBs create two one one colorless gnome artifact creature tokens, and you can pay white, sacrifice this to gain three life. I don't like believe super strongly in Tinker's Tote, but again, didn't feel very passionately about any of white's commons. Three rectangles is hard to ignore. I want to chat just quickly about why Petrify is not in my top three white commons. And 
I think it's it, we can maybe take a little bit of a clue that Petrify is basically just Arrest, which is a card we've seen in the past at three mana, a card we've seen in the past at Uncommon. This is a two mana common. And I think it's largely because Sacrifice and, and Craft exist. And I think that's a real knock against the aura-based removal spell. I agree. I don't think Petrify is going to be good. But I like I said, I am lost <laughs> looking at white commons. I wanted to just leave it blank. Wow. <laughs> I, I don't feel that way about white, actually. But we'll have to see. Uh, moving on to the uncommons. I have spring-loaded saw blades at number one. That's one and a white for a flash artifact. Deals five damage to target tapped creature when it ETBs. And it has craft with artifact for three and a white. Turns into a five-five vehicle with crew one or you can crew it by tapping two other untapped artifacts you control. Yeah, card's excellent. And keeping with the craft theme, in the number two slot, I have clay-fired bricks, one and a white for an artifact. When it ETBs, you search a library for a planes card, reveal it, put it into your hand, then shuffle, you gain two. Craft with artifact for five white-white flips into Cosmium Kiln, which makes two one ones and creatures you control get plus one plus one. Yeah, that card is excellent. Love a clay-fired bricks. I've got the same number one in spring-loaded saw blades. My number two, I'm... Looking for caves, I've got Bat Colony in the number two slot. Two and a white enchantment, ETBs, make a 1-1 one, one black bat creature token with flying. For each mana from a cave spent, cast it. And whenever a cave enters the battlefield under your control, you get to put a plus one plus one counter on target creature you control. Yeah, I'm very excited about that. That is uh, definitely definitely the cave payoff I am most looking forward to uh, abusing. All right, moving on to the blue commons. My number one is Inverted Iceberg. One and a blue for an artifact, ETBs, mill a card, draw a card. Then you can craft with artifact for four blue blue to get a 6-6 six, six that whenever it attacks, you can tap or untap target artifact or creature. My number two, I've got Water Wind Scout. Two and a blue for a 2-2 two, two with flying. When it ETBs, make a map token. That probably should be number one, but I really like Inverted Iceberg. Wanted to stake a claim. And in the number three slot, I've got River Herald Scout. One and a blue for a 1-2. When it ETBs, it explores. River Herald Scout, I can't believe. Like, that was an uncommon in black in original Ixalan, and now it's a common card is good. Um, good. I have the same three, just in a different order. I have the the flying map maker in one. I have the one, two explorer in two. And then I have inverted iceberg as my number three. All right, moving on to the blue uncommons. Number one, I've got spyglass siren, single blue for the one, one flyer. And when ETBs, you create a map token. And in the number two slot, I've got zoetic glyph, two and a blue for an aura, enchanted artifact, enchanted artifacts, a golem creature with base power and toughness five, four, in addition to its other types. And once this is put into a graveyard from the battlefield, you discover three. Yeah, just like Mightstone's animation on steroids a little bit. Yeah, I have Spyglass Siren as my number one as well. And my number two is Waterlogged Hulk. That was the artifact we talked about that tapped to mill, craft with island, turns into the 4-4 Vigi vehicle. I like that take. Looking at black, my number one is Skullcap Snail. One on a black for a 1-1 when it enters the battlefield, target opponent exiles a card from their hand. I have Deadweight at number two, single black for the aura, enchanted creature gets minus two, minus two. I think this card, like this card is always good, just cannot be understated that this not only kills a thing, but then triggers descend for you and then adds two descend four, descend eight, like super synergistic. And I'm actually not happy with it. I just put it here at number three. I'm I don't think this is gonna be that good. I think black's commons black has better commons than this. Just couldn't pick one. But I put join the dead at number three, one black black instant. Target creature gets minus five, minus five until end of turn, or if you have descend four, they get minus ten, minus ten instead. I made the brave call to leave Join the Dead out of yeah. my top commons, and instead I've got Tithing Blade in there. So my number one is Tithing Blade, which is 
I, I don't it's know. Hot. I, it's hot. It's scalding hot, but it's, it's good. scalding. It's scalding hot. It's my it's where my heart wants to go. And I'm following my heart early on in the format until I'm proven wrong. So tithing blade number one, that's the edict effect on an artifact that then flips into an artifact that drains and gains on upkeep. And then number two, I've got the skullcap snail. That's the one one that makes your opponent discard. And then number three, I've got dead weight. So basically tithing blade in place of uh, join the dead. Uh, my top uncommons, I've got chupacabra echo at number one. Two black black for a three two with fathomless descent. Target creature gets minus X minus X until end of term in this ETBs where X is the number of permanent cards in your graveyard. And my number two is grasping shadows. That's the enchantment we talked about. Whenever a creature you control attacks alone, it gets death, touch, and lifelink until out of turn. Put a dread counter on it. Then when there are three or more dread counters, you transform it into a land that has the ability black, tap, remove a dread counter from it. You draw a card and you lose a life. Yeah, I've got those same two in the same order. Honestly, wouldn't shock me, though, if Grasping Shadows were the best. I agree. I think Grasping Shadows is going to be awesome. Moving on to red commons in the number one slot. I've got a braid by a landslide, deal three to a creature or destroy target artifact. In the number two slot, I've got Volatile Wanderglyph. This is one in red for a 2-2. Whenever it becomes tapped, you may discard a card. If you do draw a card. And then in the number three slot, I've got Plundering Pirate. Two in a red for a 3-2. ETBs create a treasure token. I have the same three. I just swapped two and three. So I have the 3-2 the make a treasure at two and Volatile Wanderglyph at three. All right, moving on to red uncommons. Number one slot, Geological Appraiser. Two red red for the 3-2. When it ETBs, if you cast it, discover three. That card looks incredible. And continuing with my love of caves, the number two slot, I've got Calamitous Cave-In. Three and a red for a sorcery deals X to each creature in each planeswalker, where X is the number of caves you control and are in your graveyard. My number two, remember I was talking about, man, the Tormenting Voice variant in this format's going to be nuts. Well, they just decided, yeah, it has to be nuts anyway, so we'll make it even more nuts. This is Sahili's Lattice. One and a red for an artifact. When it enters the battlefield, you may discard a card. If you do, draw two cards. And then it has craft with one or more dinosaurs for four and a red. Flips into a star four. Its power is equal to the total power of the exiled cards used to craft it. Not even that excited about like dinosaurs, whatever. But like just this is Tormenting Voice that then is craft fodder, I think is great. Yeah, cards very strong. Moving on to green commons in the number one slot. I've got Nurturing Bristleback 5GG for a 5-5. When ETBs make a 3-3 green dinosaur creature token and it's got forest cycling for two. Was that woof a hot take? I don't think that's that hot of a take. This would be the number one green common. I thought me putting it at number three was kind of hot. Oh, no, I like that card quite a bit. Number two slot, I've got River Herald Guide, which might actually be the number one common. Uh, two and a green for three, one with Vigilance. And whenever it ETBs, it explores. That card is quite strong. And then in the number three slot, I've got Hotley's Final Strike. Two and a green for an instant. Target creature you control gets plus one plus oh until end of turn. Deals damage equal to its power to target creature and opponent controls. Yeah, I think I'm going to do uh, do a Bill O'Reilly here and change mine live. Um, number one, I'm going to keep Basking Capybara. I, I like this card. This is one and a green for a one three and it has descend four. It gets plus three plus oh as long as there are four or more permanent cards in your graveyard. I'm excited about a two drop that scales with the game like this. Two mana one three is going to be fine. And then this turning into a two mana, like a four three in the mid game, I think is going to be pretty sweet. But then I am going to put in number two, I'm going to put River Herald Guide. That's the three mana three one that explores when ETBs. And then I'm going to put, no, I'm going to keep the Forest Cycler at number three. And I'm getting the fight spell out of my top three. I like that. I, I'm not a huge fan of Watley's final strike. That was more in mind as a, uh, I don't really know what else to do. Yeah. 
All right, moving on to the uncommons. In the number one slot, I've got Thrashing Brontodon. This is one GG for a 3-4 that you can pay one and sacrifice itself to destroy target artifact or enchantment. In the number two slot, I've got Cenote Scout. This is green for a 1-1, and whenever it enters the battlefield, it explores. Yeah, I have the same. I actually have those just flipped. I have the Explorer number one and the Dino number two. So with, with all of our arguing, 40 minutes of back and forth, we're pretty lined up in our assessment of what things are going to be performing on top, at least initially. Yeah, I I am excited for this format. I am too. It's interesting, like, you know, original Exelon, not a revered set, sort of famous for being blisteringly fast. I think this looks like a blistering amount of value in this set. Like, I'm pretty excited for what looks to be a format where aggro is supported, like red, white, red, green beats blue red tempo like those all look like real decks to me and then i also think there are the tools to combat those decks and that really makes for a good format but and lands that are draftable yeah k being its own archetype like i think certainly tithing blade could be its own style of deck like there just seems to be a lot of stuff floating around i'm really excited about craft obviously if that hasn't come across yet this episode like yeah just seems like a lot of super sweet stuff and dinos i think is gonna be keeping stuff in check too like keeping everybody honest yeah i agree looking forward to it all right great place to wrap us up thank you as always to salty pretzels for our intro and outro music make sure you give it a listen thank you so much to cool stuff inc for sponsoring this podcast if you're heading over there for any and all purchases grabbing those pre-orders of lost caverns of ixalan whatever you're doing please use checkout code lol to let them know we sent you there and more importantly to get five percent off of anything you purchase you can find all of our content on our website there'll be links to a tier list fresh and ready for you to peruse and criticize. There'll be merch via TeePublic, our Patreon reward tiers, of course, backlog of episodes, links to YouTube and Twitch, all that good stuff at lordsoflimited.com. If you've got any feedback about the show or any questions, shoot us an email at lordsoflimited at gmail.com. Thanks so much for listening, and we'll catch you next week for another episode of Lords of Limited. Thanks, everybody. See you later. <laughs>